I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. For years, I've been wanting to get into this great book of Joshua. I just never felt I had the time. Well, starting January the 2nd, I've had nothing but time on my hands and nowhere to go. So I have been studying this wonderful book of Joshua. And in our week together, we're going to go through, we can't go through the whole book, only have eight sessions, but what we're going to do is look at eight of the key moments in this great book. And I'm giving you the theme there, building the future, building the future. I love Joshua because he is such a fascinating character. If you read this book openly and honestly, you must conclude he is one of the greatest military leaders in world history. Name the greatest, Alexander the Great, Hannibal, Napoleon, the Duke of Wellington, George Patton, whoever you want to name. If you name the greatest military leaders, you must include General Joshua. And here is how the story begins. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Joshua 1 verse 2. This is where the book begins. Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses is dead. Moses, the man who confronted Pharaoh. Moses, who called down the plagues from heaven. Moses, who stretched out his staff and the Red Sea parted. Moses, who went up on the mountain and met God on Mount Sinai. Moses, who led the people of God through the wilderness. Moses is dead. What will we do? Moses is dead. Who will lead us? Moses is dead. And the people said, we might as well go back to Egypt. If you ever go to London, to Westminster Abbey, there in Westminster Abbey, you will see a beautiful monument erected many years ago to the Wesley brothers. It's called the Wesley Memorial. Dedicated in honor and in memory of John and Charles Wesley, who together, who together raised up the godly movement, the Methodist movement. John Wesley, the great preacher and theologian, Charles Wesley, who wrote over 9,000 hymns. And upon their death, that memorial was erected. You know what it says inscribed in stone at the bottom? It says, God's workers die, but God's work goes on. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. Hello, Joshua. Moses is dead. Hello, Joshua. You know, in football, They have a saying that when a player goes down with an injury, 
when a player is ejected, when a player is removed, when a player can't play anymore, coaches have a saying, three words, next man up. Next man up. Joshua was God's next man up. Now, just by way of background, we don't know a great deal about Joshua. We know he was, quote, the son of Nun, N-U-N. His father's name was Nun. We know his name in Hebrew means Jehovah saves. Now, you know Hebrew, Jehovah saves, Joshua. When that word, Joshua, comes into the Greek language, what does it come in as? Jesus, Savior. He comes from the tribe of Ephraim, which is important simply because there were small tribes and big tribes. Ephraim was one of the large, prosperous tribes of Israel. We remember him before this book. We remember him for a few incidents, but mostly for what happened at Kadesh Barnea. You remember the story. Moses and the the people of God came to Kadesh Barnea early on in the 40 years, and they picked 12 men, one from each tribe. Go up and spy out the land and come back and tell us what it's like. There were 10 other men chosen. And then Caleb was chosen and Joshua was chosen. You remember the story. They went up to the land and said, it's unbelievable. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And we got pomegranates. We got grapes. It's unbelievable. It's the most beautiful place we've ever seen. But whoa, those cities, they've got walls that reach up to heaven. And giants, there's giants everywhere. And 10 of the men came back and said, we can't do it. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, there's giants. But God is on our side. We can do it. You remember 10 said, no. Two said, go. Joshua and Caleb The majority won the day. And so the people wandered in the wilderness for another 38 years until finally they came to the eastern shore, the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Moses is now dead. That whole unbelieving generation has died. The only two people left from that generation are Joshua and Caleb. Now, we'll come back to this later in the week. Now, here's the question. Joshua's a young man at Kadesh Barnea. So how old is he? Well, he's not young. He's 40 years older. You do the math. When Caleb shows up later in this book, and we'll get to Caleb. Caleb is 85 years old. He's clearly older than Joshua. So most expositors say, and I agree, he's at least 65 years old. He may be 70 years old. He could be 75 years old when this book begins. In other words, good news. God uses older men and women. Aren't you glad about that? Here's a whole book in the Bible about a senior citizen who did amazing things for God. What else can we say about Joshua? He was a soldier. Just remember that. He was a soldier. He knew how to lead, he knew how to fight, he knew how to win. In this whole book, he only makes one mistake. There's only one time in this book where he makes a mistake, and that's when the Gibeonites trick him in Joshua 9. And we'll talk about that on Thursday morning. Now, part of the problem of studying Joshua is that you've got, here is Moses, and here's Joshua. 
Let's not kid ourselves. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses gets five books. Joshua, Joshua gets one. Moses knew God face to face. That's never said about Joshua. It's true. Moses was Moses, one of the greatest men of all time. Everybody agrees on that. And let's be honest tonight. He pales next to Moses. Yet, he served God just as Moses did. Moses walked with God in a way that Joshua didn't. I'm talking about the intimacy. But Joshua won battles. Moses did not fight. He was God's man for his generation. Let me give you a really simple three-part outline of the book. Taking the land, chapters 1 through 12. And the theme is fight. Settling the land, chapters 13 through 22. And the theme is move in. Retaining the land, chapters 23 and 24. And the theme is be faithful. And notice something about this outline. Taking the land, settling the land, retaining the land. Joshua is a book about dirt. It's a book about real estate. This is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. Abraham, get out from there to a land, to a land that I will show you. God meant it when he said, I'm going to give you the land. And, and Abraham never saw it. And Isaac never saw it. And Jacob never saw it. And come on down. Uh, Joseph and the boys never saw it. And all the way down to Moses. Moses himself. He died on Mount Nebo. He, he saw the land, but he never entered in. It was left to this man, Joshua. Joshua is a book about taking, settling, and retaining the land. It's about the dirt about the real estate, which is why when you come to the end of Joshua 21, verse 43, you've got this wonderful statement. They've they've won the battles. They've settled and divided the land of the 12 tribes. The Levites, the cities of refuge are settled and and everybody's in their place. And And so the writer summarizes it this way, Joshua 21, 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land, the dirt, the real estate he had sworn to give to their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And then the next verse says, the Lord gave them rest. Their enemies were defeated. And it says, there were no falling promises. Your version probably says no failing promises. And that's good. But in Hebrew, it's literally none of the promises of God fell to the ground. God kept every promise he ever made. Now, where does Joshua fit in biblical history? I'd say it like this. Genesis is the beginning. Exodus is the exit. Leviticus is the worship. Numbers is the journey. Deuteronomy is the challenge. The beginning, the exit, the worship, the journey, the challenge. And go back, chapter 1, verse 2. Moses My servant is dead. What will happen now? Here is the question that hangs in the air. Can God be trusted 
once our leaders are gone. The pastor leaves. What will happen now? My husband has died. What will happen now? The founder of the ministry has gone to heaven. What will happen now? Moses, my servant, is dead. The ten plagues are in the distant past. The parting of the Red Sea is a long ago memory. What will happen now? Listen to the next sentence. As the book opens, everything has changed but God. Everything has changed but God. It was 30 years ago this year when Marlene and I were still living in Dallas. I had finished a pastorate in a Dallas suburb where things, when they were good, were really good. And when they went south, they went all the way south. And we were hit the eject button. We were gone from that ministry. I spent about six months floating in the air, working for Dawson McAllister and uh, helping Shepherd Ministries, not knowing what God had for us. And down deep, some of you have been there. Down deep, I had a lot of a lot of inner doubt. Things had been painful at the end. When the local church is good, it's really good. There's no fight like a church fight. That thing blew up on our face. And I wasn't sure anymore that I could pastor, preach, lead. I wasn't even sure I wanted to. But this wonderful congregation in Chicago had called us. And uh, it's amazing how much faith you can have when you really need a job. It's a fact. I really needed to take care of my family. And they called. And with great hesitation and doubt, I agreed. I've already told you I'm a southern boy. All I knew about Chicago 30 years ago was Al Capone and Michael Jordan. That's all I knew. And really more Al Capone at that point than Michael Jordan. I, I went up to, to visit the church. Lovely people. Lovely people. Lovely people at the church. Scared me to death. Scared me to death. That city was crowded. It was cold. I didn't think that people, people at the church were fine, but the other people I met, I didn't think they were all that friendly. This is how I felt, you know. Oh, no. I don't know. This is, not, this is never going to work. Never. And you, you, know what, you know one of the things God used me, used to get me up there? My friend Michael Green, who he hadn't heard from 
in a quarter century until we heard from his wife just a couple of weeks ago, out of the blue. Michael Green, a professor at Dallas Seminary, was a member of that congregation and been a dear friend of mine when the whole thing kind of blew up. I'll never, I don't think Michael to this day knows, though I've tried to tell him how much what he said. I can still, you know how some moments are frozen in your mind? You couldn't say what you were doing before. I was stand, This is shortly before I was going to go up to Chicago, filled with self-doubt. I was standing in a parking lot. I had lunch with Michael. And uh, Michael had been up north. He knew about it. He knew the Yankees were okay. I wasn't sure. But he knew all the self-doubt. And we were standing by my car. And it was the last time I was to see him before we left. And he said, Ray, don't worry about it. He said, the good people everywhere, those people love you. God has called you. And then he said, nothing that matters has changed. Same Bible, same God, same Jesus, same gospel. Just go up there and do up there what you've been doing here in Dallas. Same God, same Jesus, same Bible, same gospel. It's a different world. And he said, yeah, they do talk funny in Chicago. <laughs> Which is what they were to say about me every week for 17 years. But go up there and God will go with you. Because nothing that matters has changed. And with that confidence, we went and had the best 17 years. The best, most fruitful, most amazing years of pastoral ministry we'd ever had. Moses is dead. What's going to happen now? Everything has changed but God. You see, the Christian faith is always just one generation from extinction. God has no grandchildren. He's got children. He has no grandchildren. The question every generation has to ask is, can we trust God in this new situation? Can we trust God when everything has changed? Can we trust God when our leaders have left us? Or said another way, Joshua, the God of Abraham, is he our God too? The God of Isaac, is he our God too? The God of Jacob, is he our God too? The God of Moses, is he our God too? And I'll tell you something, that's what our young people have to figure out for themselves. Every generation of Christian young people, we can teach them, we can pray for them, we can work with them, but every single Christian young person has to figure this out. So the question is this, if you, at the beginning of Joshua, listen, if we are standing on the eastern shore of the Jordan River and the people say, can we still trust God today? Here's my answer. It doesn't matter what I say. You're going to have to go to the Jordan for yourself and find out for yourself. So what do we have here? In the first chapter, the first nine verses of Joshua. Let me just give this to you very quickly. Four steps to the future. Here are the four steps that the people of God had to go through to get to their God-appointed future. Number one, they had to let go of the past. 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Question, question, is it a bad thing that Moses is dead? No. He served his own generation according to the will of God. And then he fell asleep. Just like David, it would be said of him generations later. Moses, Moses did God's will. In his generation, what is it that we say here at Word of Life all the time that we got from our founder? It is the responsibility of every generation to reach their own generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jack Wurtson did his part in his generation. He can do no more. It's up to us and to those who come after us. When Moses' work was done, God took him home. Some leaders must go so that others may arise. This is the normal order of things. Let me say it to you this way. It's okay to miss the past. We should. But don't miss the future because you're living in the past. Got it? It's okay to miss the past, but don't miss the future because you're living in the past. Now, I've shared with this with you before. The older I get, the more important this becomes to me. The first rule of spiritual progress, three simple statements. I can't go back. I can't stay here. I must go forward. You can't go back to live in the past. You can't go back to correct the past. You can't go back to have fun in the past. The past is gone. You can't stay here because life is a river that flows ever onward. The only thing we can do is by the grace of God say, we are going to go forward. So step number one to the future is you got to let go of the past. So that's number one. Here's number two. You got to get ready to move forward. Verses two through four. Look what God says. Get ready to cross the Jordan River. That's big. We'll get to that. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. And he goes on to say, wherever your foot lands, that's what I'm going to give to you. And he says, all the way over to the Euphrates River, way up north and way out west and way down south, I'm going to give this land to you. But the real emphasis is here. And here we are on the east side of the Jordan River. And over there is the promised land. What's the first step? you got to get ready to move forward. And what stands between us and the promised land? The Jordan River. So, question tonight. We're here on the east side. Over here's the Jordan River. Here's the Jordan River. Over there, there's Jericho and Ai. And there's all the bad guys. What's on the other side of the promised land? What's on the other side of the river? Two things. The promised land and the enemy. The promised land and the enemy. Isn't it amazing how that tends to work out? Remember 1 Corinthians 16, 9? Paul said, a great door and effectual is open unto me. And there are what? Many adversaries. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. liked to say, the door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition. You got to get ready to move forward. But understand... The thing you want is on the other side of the river, but there's a lot of trouble over there too. So here's where we are tonight. You can stay where you are. You can, but all the action's on the other side of the river. You can stay where you are, but the miracles start at the Jordan River. You can stay where you are, but God is calling you to move forward. Step number one, let go of the past. Step two, get ready to move. Step number three, you got to affirm 
promise of God. Come down to verse 5. Boy, I love this. No one, no one will be able to stand against you. Well, that's good news because there's a lot of bad guys over there. Get ready. Get ready for action. Nobody's going to be able to stand against you. All the days of your life, he's speaking to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Stop right there. As I was with Moses. What did Moses do? He went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And what did Moses do? He came back and said, let my people go. What did Pharaoh do? He said no. And Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said no. And Moses said, Lord, we got a little situation down here. A little situation. And the Lord said, let me send in the frogs. He sent in the frogs and the lice and the blood in the water and the darkness and the hail and the Passover and the death of the firstborn. And they came to the Red Sea and he held out his staff and the water parted and they walked across on dry ground. And he went up to Mount Sinai and the Lord said, Moses, I got some mail to deliver. And gave him two tablets and he wrote the Ten Commandments with the finger of God and gave them to Moses and came on down. God talked to Moses face to face. And Moses, listen, listen, do you understand? For 40 years, the shoes never wore out. Moses, what a man. For 40 years, they never ran out of food. Manna and quail. For 40 years, they never lost a battle. 40 years. Moses is dead. Oh no, what are we going to do? And God says to his man, don't you worry about a thing. As I was with Moses, that's pretty good stuff. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. By the way, where's that picked up in the New Testament? Book of Hebrews, as it is written, I will never leave you. 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 So, about a week after the bike incident on the trail, I got a phone call. I'd been through the first surgery. I got all this space age external fixator stuff on my leg, and I'm just laying in the bed. I hadn't figured it out yet, Ron. Laying in bed, trying to figure it out. I got a call. Who do you suppose called me on the phone? You know, Harry Ballback called me on the phone. He was as chipper and as cheerful as he could be. How are you doing, Ray? I said, well, you know, come on, Ray. How are you? I'm doing great. It's going to be fine. Ray is going to be fine. And then he preached at, he preached, didn't just preach to me. He preached at me on the phone. Harry preached at me. You know, you know, Harry, he preached at me on the phone. He said, let me tell you something, Ray. 
That was not an accident what happened to you. I said, what do you mean? Look at him. What do you mean that's not an accident? He said, no, don't call that an accident. He said, that's not an accident. Accidents don't happen to Christians. That was an incident. Ooh, that's good. What happened to you was not an accident. It was an incident. Romans 8, 28. There are no accidents for the people of God. Only incidents. Only incidents. So I got to thinking about that. That really that cheered me up. No accident. There didn't have to be ice on that trail. Who put the ice on that trail? Who's behind all that? Who is? Come on now. Come on now. Who? God allowed it to happen. Come on now. Now, who rode his bike over it? Who rode his bike? Who was dumb enough to ride his bike over it? All right, I'll take responsibility for my part of it. But, you know, God knew. God knew what was going on that day, right? So I, I, was, I was laying on the bed thinking about all that. You know, Harry got me all, all riled up and razzed up, you know, all that. And I thought, you remember, you used to do this in church. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, right? God is good all the time and all that antiphonal thing. And I had read somewhere that that started not in America, but in the churches in Africa, which makes sense. I heard, I heard somewhere that it started in the churches of Nigeria. And in one of my sermons that I send out, I put that in there that I'd heard that that was in the churches of Nigeria. And a woman who is in, who is, I'd have never met her. She's a woman in the, at a church in Lagos, Nigeria, capital of, or one of the bigger cities, the biggest city of Nigeria. She wrote and she said, Pastor Pritchard, what you said is true. We do say that. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But she said in our church in Nigeria, we add something. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Then everybody says, I am a witness. Ooh, I like that. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. I am a witness. Then I heard about a church, I think in Michigan, that, that did it this way. God is good all the time, in every situation, no matter what. Ooh, I like that even better. So I put it all together this way. This is one of the things God has helped me with. Since January the 2nd, God is good all the time, in every situation, no matter what. I am a witness. God is good all the time, in every situation, no matter what. I am a witness. That's what God means. That's what God wants us to understand. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is not a promise of an easy road. This is not a promise of unlimited victory. This is not a promise of no tears. This is not a promise of no ice on the trail. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying whether upright or on your back, I will never leave you. Joshua is a book of battles. It's filled with blood and the noise of war. And God is saying to his servant, you're going, you're going to have to go fight for the land I am giving you. But good news, Joshua, I'm going to go with you as you go so you cannot lose. So what's left? 
Four steps to the future. Choosing the hard road of obedience. And you know this one. Be strong and courageous. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land. I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from the, to, the, to the right, to the left. That you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law. Which to Joshua would have primarily meant the book of Deuteronomy. Primarily Deuteronomy. To us, it's the whole book. The whole book. The whole book of God. Keep this book of the law always on your lip. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be, what? Prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Did you get that? Three times God says, be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and courageous. Verse 9. There is a catch here. You want the promise? You want the blessing? Be careful to obey. Be careful to obey. Keep the law on your lips. Meditate day and night. Just a little, just in passing, quickly, because I'm coming to the end now. But boy, this is so good, worth thinking about. This is how we ought to feel about the Word of God. We're to know it. Keep the Word of God. We're to talk about it. Keep it in your lips. Meditate on God's Word. By the way, you know what the word meditate means in Hebrew? Murmur. It means to murmur. Talk about it. If you ever go to the Western Wall in Jerusalem, you will see the Jews praying out loud. And they are mumbling their prayers out loud. That's, that's the literal idea here. Know God's Word. Talk about it. Mumble God's Word. Which we would say, meditate and memorize it. And finally, obey it. And then you inherit the promise. You will be successful. End of the story, verses 10 and 11. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. I got a question here at the end of my message. Why did God use Joshua? Number one, he used him because when Moses died, Joshua was ready to move forward because he had been preparing himself for years. He had been understudying Moses for 40 years. Why did God use Joshua? I find this interesting. When God called him, Joshua had no master plan, just a determination to obey. And number three, when he ordered the people to move out, Joshua had no advanced knowledge of the future, but he set out anyway. He prepared himself. He was determined to obey. He told the people to move out without knowing what the future held. Can I summarize it for you this way? Our good friend Mark Bailey, you've heard him preach here. God often confirms his will after we obey, not before. 21st century application and we're done. When we let go of the past, we're free to pursue God's vision for our future. When we let go of the past, we can then pursue what God has for us in the future. Number two, when we lead with courage, others will follow our example. John Wayne said, 
Courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway. Billy Graham said, courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. And number three, when we dare to trust and obey, miracles begin to happen. Moses is dead, but God is alive. Hello, Joshua. Next man up. God's workers die, but God's work goes on. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. Thank you that in this season of our lives, we can serve you now. Lord, help us to move forward with faith and confidence and courage, knowing that wherever we go, whatever you call us to do, you are going with us and before us. And therefore, we can't lose because the Lord, our God, is on our side. Help us to trust you more and more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.